Good morning, Cornerstone. And happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers, to be mothers, would be mothers. We thank God for our mothers on this morning. My mother, my mother passed away at the age of 72. But not before she had taught me some very valuable lessons about life. My mom was an unassuming kind of lady with an uncanny wisdom and an intuition that was intimidating. It was difficult to lie to my mom. You could try, but somehow mom always knew she had that sixth sense that you just couldn't get past. And she was a detector. <laughs> Very intuitive, my mother was. Around five years before she passed away, my mom came to live with me and my wife and my daughter because sickness had uh, stricken her body, sometimes even her mind. But every once in a while, my mother would share some piece of wisdom with me that helped me to navigate some of the most difficult times of life. Even in her sickness, she could still share some pearls of wisdom that helped me to navigate my life. I would go in her room sometimes and just sit there beside her bed and just tell her about my day. Sometimes she wouldn't even be at herself. But I still found solace in sharing my life with my mom. As far as I was concerned, my mother still had a purpose. And I hope that my interactions with her during her sickness reassured her of the fact that she was here for a reason. God had a purpose for her life. Life and death are two subjects that can make us very uncomfortable, right? Life and death. Most people don't like to talk much about their actual lives and almost no one likes to consider their pending demise. Life and death are two difficult topics for most of humanity. Don't believe me? Try this social experiment. Walk up to somebody at a bus stop. Say, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. You waiting to catch the bus? Yeah, waiting to catch the bus. You going to work? No, I'm headed to bowling. I'm going bowling tonight. Are you happy with your life? Try that. <laughs> Are you happy with your life? Now in Chicago, yeah, that, that may sound like a threat. Never mind. Don't try it in Chicago. <laughs> but other places. Are you happy with your life? And people will clam up immediately when you start talking about their actual life. Am I happy with, even if you're talking to a friend and you out of nowhere just say, are you happy with your life? Most people begin to stutter and stumble. Maybe you do as well. Most people don't like to talk about their lives. People don't like to talk about their lives and especially people don't like to talk about their death. And that's why Paul's level of transparency in this text today is so striking to me. 
as he seems to so very casually or matter-of-factly and so publicly discuss his personal preferences between living and dying, two of the most complicated subjects in existence, and Paul is talking about it casually, like it's really no big deal. Paul says in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. In Colossians chapter three and verse four, Paul teaches us that Christ is our life. Meaning that as long as the believer is alive in the flesh, Jesus Christ is at work in and through us, advancing his kingdom agenda in the world. To live is Christ. To be alive for the believer is to be in the service of Jesus Christ, to bring glory to his name, whether through some small act of kindness or through some great spiritual feat. To live is Christ. And to live is to live for Christ. For any believer, wrestling with finding their purpose in the world, wrestling to find their purpose and reason for living. Paul provides this very simple yet mysterious response that to live is Christ. To be alive is to be always on call to be a blessing to others. To live is to live for Christ. To be always on call to help or to serve someone else. To live is Christ, to heal or to mend the brokenhearted. To be a safe space and a safe place for someone who is in need. To live is to live for Christ. That is the purpose of the Christian life. It's all about him. You know this already. The day you became a follower of Jesus Christ, was the day that your former life ended. Do you ever think about that? That the day you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior was the day that your former life came to an end. And this new life you now live is to be lived for Jesus Christ alone. Paul the Apostle says our lives are no longer our own. We have been bought with a price, and now we live to serve at Christ's behest. This is the way we're supposed to think about our lives. But not all of us view it this way. Not even all of the Philippians to whom Paul is writing, writing would have agreed with Paul's perspective here. And that's why he prefaces his statement here with, to me, <laughs> to me to live, is Christ. In my opinion and from my perspective to live is Christ. We'll see later in the book that this wasn't always the case with Paul. But over time as Jesus Christ continued to prove himself to be more and more faithful and over time as Paul's own life that he had created for himself proved to be less and less sustainable and more of a mere facade, Paul reaches the conclusion that my life is only and always about Christ, that the Christian life is all about him, that my life is the continuation of the story of Jesus Christ and it is not my story. Let me say that again, that my life is a continuation of the story of Jesus Christ and this life that I live is not my story. 
to live is Christ. So that the gospel story that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John has not come to a final close. And it will not come to a final close until the day of Jesus Christ's return. Because the life of Jesus Christ continues on and through his servant, his servants, me and you. Christ is still alive. Christ is still here through us. So the story continues. That's what I like about the book of Acts when the writer of Acts says, as he begins the book, he says, this is the continuation of the things that Jesus began to do. <laughs> because as far as the author understood, Christ was not finished doing in the world so long as his followers were present. Because to live for us is Christ. And our lives are a continuation of his story. The day I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior then, Calvin died. The day you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you also died. Do you ever think about that? What that really means, that your life has been hidden in Jesus Christ and you have become one with God the Father through him. That the life you now live is the life of Jesus Christ. Most believers rarely ponder this truth. So Paul's words to us here provide us an excellent opportunity to really consider what has transpired at Calvary's cross. What has become of our lives since we have received Jesus Christ? You want to take a break from the rat race of life? You want to rest from always feeling the need to compete, the need to always be right? Are you weary of being self-defensive all the time? Are you exhausted with always trying to prove something to yourself or to someone else? Are you tired of it? You should ask God to help you assume Paul's perspective, that my life is all and only about Jesus Christ and it is not about myself. I don't take it personal. And you will find that this perspective is the gateway to a life of peace. And this is how Jesus Christ can guarantee us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, that if we come to him, he will give us rest. Because to come to Jesus Christ is to become one with Jesus Christ, to abandon our lives and the story of our lives and to replace our lives with the life of Jesus Christ. And once we have truly submitted to this spiritual baptism into Christ, we emerge from the waters of the Spirit, a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have indeed become new. And we have become to varying degrees, very Christ. To live, Paul says, is Christ. But to die is gain. Do you hear what Paul just said there? In essence, what Paul is saying is that we who are in Jesus Christ, we cannot lose. 
Neither by our lives nor by our death we cannot lose because to live is to glorify Jesus, but to die is to be with him. We can't lose. So that these two existential extremes that cause dread and discomfort to unbelievers, these two existential extremes are viewed by the believer as being two goods. Life is good and death is good. (laughs) This is the paradoxical wisdom of Solomon where he says on the one hand in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 that the day of death is better than the day of birth. Have you ever read that? Wonder man, what are you smoking? Solomon said the day of death is better than the day of birth. But he seems to reverse his perspective in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4, and says this, that even a a living dog is better than a dead lion. Which one is it? Is is death better or is it? It's a paradox. They're both good in their own ways. (laughs) Even Even a living dog is better than a dead lion. Life is okay too. For the believer, both life and death are goods to differing degrees and for different reasons, but each is good in its own way. This is the conclusion Paul the Apostle has come to. And so now that Paul has determined both life and death to be good, now he's free to consider which one he prefers without fear. Paul is now no longer afraid to live and Paul is not afraid to die. And that, brothers and sisters, hear me good, that, brothers and sisters, is true freedom. I am not afraid to live and I am not afraid to die. If I am not afraid to live or to die, then there is nothing to fear. (laughs) By the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul has conquered that fear. And if he has to go on in his situation, in his dire straits, he's fine with that. And if God wants to take him on, Paul is fine with that. I am not afraid. It's neither here nor there. Life and death are both goods for the child of God. Paul is now free to consider, to measure, and to weigh, to evaluate, and to assess the the values of both life and death. When you and I truly come to believe what Jesus Christ promised us, that nothing in this world will by any means harm us, then we truly will have nothing to fear. And when fear no longer plays a role in our decision-making processes, we can be free then to weigh all of our options in light of the impact that our decisions will have on the kingdom of God only. We can make our life decisions based on the benefit to others and the benefit to the cause of Christ alone. No longer worried or concerned about my own well-being because I know that my life is hid in Christ. Paul's perspective here on his life and his death provide for him a sweet sense of security because Paul knows that his own spiritual business is in order. He's free to turn his attention toward fulfilling the vision of Jesus Christ for others. He says in verse 22, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
if I'm to go on living, if I am to live on in this body, this will mean that I can get more done for Jesus Christ. That's the reason why I'm living. That is the reason why you are living, to get more done for Jesus. That is the purpose for our being in the world. If that weren't the case, as soon as we became saved, we would have just gotten caught up. Bye-bye. You're saved, you're out. No, he leaves us here for a reason. The reason is so that we can accomplish great things for Jesus Christ. Paul says, if I am to live on in this body, this will mean that I can get more done for Jesus. And that is very appealing. That if I keep on living, if I keep on putting one foot in front of the other, it could mean the difference between life and death for someone else. I have a reason to be here. Brothers and sisters, our lives have great purpose. Our lives, in fact, have ultimate purpose for others. As General George Patton once said, he said it in more colorful terms than I'm gonna say, but as he once said, no soldier ever won a war by dying for his country. Soldiers win wars by killing the enemy. Nobody wins from me dying. The kingdom doesn't win from me dying for the kingdom. The kingdom wins when I stay here and pull down principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in dark places. That's how the kingdom wins, not through my dying, but through my living. Ah, Paul, Paul understands it. <laughs> I'm here for a reason. I'm here to snatch men and women out of darkness and bring them into light. I'm here to destroy the kingdom of darkness. I'm here to proclaim the good news that I'm here for something. I'm not here for nothing. <laughs> I have a reason for being here. So do you. In other words, my dying doesn't help the people that I came to serve. The life of the believer is filled with purpose and promise and potential for Christ's kingdom. But granted, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life can seem downright unfair, can it? But life is worth the living when we live it for Jesus Christ. Sometimes life can seem bleak, so bleak that it causes some believers to begin to despair. Believers are not immune from despair. Sometimes we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes we may even contemplate checking out of here. Sometimes believers contemplate checking out of here. Life can be hard. Life can be unfair. But you must know today that your life has too much meaning and your life has too much value to Jesus and to his kingdom for you to end it prematurely. Don't give up. Your life has value. Your life has meaning. There is too much to be done, too many victories to be won for you to walk off of this battlefield just yet. Listen, listen. If you're feeling troubled today, 
if you can't seem to shake off the fog of despair, here is my advice for you. Go and find yourself a homeless shelter and read to the homeless children. If you're feeling in despair today, like life just doesn't matter and you just want to quit, go and volunteer at a food pantry and feed the hungry. If you feel like your life doesn't matter today, go out on the street corner with a bullhorn and preach the gospel to passers-by. Go and put your plow in the fruitful labor. And the thing about fruitful labor, the, the thing about fruitful labor, or, or labor that bears fruit and accomplishes the purpose of God in the world, the thing about it is that it allows us to get a glimpse of Jesus Christ working in us and through us, and it gives us confidence to carry on. Make yourself necessary. Make yourself an asset to the kingdom of God. Make yourself relevant to a dying Make yourself relevant to a dying world by getting involved, by being engaged. And suicidal thoughts will begin to go by the wayside when you realize the power that Christ has invested in you <laughs> and the work that he wants to do through you. Feeling depressed, get busy. Feeling anxious, get busy. Don't sit around and worry and wonder and complain. Get up and get busy. Christ will meet you there. When you stand up and step out on faith, Christ will meet you there. I've seen it too many times. <laughs> In the middle of the storm, get up, go to work for Jesus. And he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. Paul is in prison. You hear what I said? Paul is in prison. He's not sitting on some beach somewhere talking about, I don't know, do I want to live or do I want to go ahead and be with, mm, let me sip some more of this tequila and think about this. No, 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 he's in prison. Paul is in chains. And he's pondering whether it's better to live or some would say that it is better to be dead than to pine away behind prison walls with no release date. He's in limbo. The legal system has failed him. He has no idea when he's going to get out or if he is ever going to get out. Paul is physically stuck. Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt like nothing around you was moving and you're not moving? Have you ever felt stuck? Or even worse, has it ever seemed like everything around you is moving and advancing and progressing, but you are standing still? Have you ever felt stuck? It can make you begin to wonder what you're even here for. What is my purpose? I tell you the truth. There is never a reason for any believer to feel stuck in that way. As I've been considering this all week, I was reminded of Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. When Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, 
healing every disease, healing every kind of sickness. Seeing the crowds, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turns, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers into it appears that Jesus was the only one doing the work. He's going from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue, doing all the teaching, doing all the healing, doing all the blessing, bringing comfort to those in need. And he gets tired and he turns around and says, there's so much work, to, the harvest is plenty. While Jesus is busy working, other believers were busy trying to find their purpose. Some were busy decrying the work of others. Still others were too wrapped up in their own survival to get involved in the work of the kingdom of God. Jesus looks out over all those sinners headed for eternal destruction. Jesus looks out over all those sick that need to be healed, all those distressed and downcast who just need someone to give them one word of encouragement. And Jesus laments, the harvest is plentiful. There's so much work to do, so many opportunities to serve. Where are the laborers? Where are we? I'm a living witness that the most happy and the most fulfilled believers in Christ's kingdom are the ones who are engaged in fruitful labor, God-honoring labor. This is the finer thing, fruitful labor. Productive self-sacrifice that leaves it all on the field. Labor that produces hope. Labor that produces confidence. Labor that even just produces a little comfort for someone else. Paul is willing to remain in chains as hard a life as that is, as long as his time in this world can count for Jesus. And it's not an easy choice for him just as it's not an easy choice for some believers to find the hope or the energy to even get out of their beds each morning. Depression is on the rise across the country. Anxiety is on the rise across the country and even in the church. For many believers, life is not easy during this, this season. Wake up in the morning covered sometimes in an inexplicable darkness that covers them like a blanket. It's not an easy choice as Paul weighs his two ultimate options and he even says so. He does not know which to choose. It sure would be nice to get out of this jail. It sure would be nice to get out of these chains. It sure would be nice to not be persecuted anymore. But it would also be nice to stay here and preach the gospel to the, to, to, to the jail attendant when he comes by to be kind to him, to show him the love. Well, I don't know which one to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. I want to go, but I want to stay. I'm hard-pressed. Life wasn't easy for Paul. The decision wasn't easy for Paul. And life is not always easy for all of us. Depression, poverty, lack of friendships, sometimes lack of hope, abusive and unhealthy work environments. I came in this morning, I came in this morning to someone who told me they just left their job. I wanted to just dance for them. 
They had been telling me about all the problems they were having and the things going on and the stress they were under. And I come into, I left my job. All I could do is give a high five. You know what, sometimes that's the best thing you can do. Just walk away. There is no amount of money in the world worth me destroying my life and destroying my nerves over. Nothing's worth all of that. Leaving me so tired that I can't even serve Jesus. Nothing is worth all of that. Nothing is worth all of that. Hmm. Struggling some of us are in abusive and unhealthy work environments. It reminds me of the you guys heard the story about the USS uh, George Washington, the situation with those sailors living on that ship docked in uh, Newport News, Virginia, sometimes with no light. Work going on on the ship night and day and night and day. Four suicides in four weeks. Before anybody even intervened. Four suicides in four weeks. Thank God somebody finally recognized the problem. Was it was a negative, difficult working environment. But, but, but they were soldiers. And sometimes soldiers are asked to undergo dire conditions in service of the greater mission. That's the way it is sometimes in the military. No one who goes to war, Paul says, goes on their own behalf, but on behalf of the one who sent them. And as we serve Jesus Christ, we too will sometimes, brothers and sisters, be called upon to serve under dire conditions. Sometimes we will be called to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. It may come to a point even in our own nation where we are imprisoned and marginalized, castigated and canceled for the cause of Jesus Christ. But just like Paul, we will not allow that to cause us to despair. Because still to live, even when my life isn't going well, to live is still for Christ. In those difficult moments, we have to understand that we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. And these are the prices. This may be the cost I have to pay in order to bring many sons and daughters to him. I know it from experience. It is possible for things to get so bad that you just want to throw up your hands and get out of here. It happened to Paul. It happened to Paul. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ. I really want to get out of here. <laughs> for that would be much better. I'm tired and I'm weary, sometimes rejected by the ones that I love, Sometimes doing without the basic necessities of this life. Paul says, man, leaving would be far better. But the question is, better for who? Better for himself. Leaving would be better for me. If it was just about me, that probably would be my preference. But believers are not called to live for ourselves. We are called to live for God. We are called to live for others. That's what this walk is all about. That's the way Jesus did it. And if we do indeed have the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, 
dwelling in us, our view will be the same as Paul the Apostle's view. It would be better for me to check out of here. But, verse 24, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. I'm tired. Quite frankly, I could leave right now. But I'm going to stick around for you. There was a soldier I met back in, back in 1989-1990. I was visiting a hospital in uh, Washington, D.C. And he had tried to commit suicide. I went to see him. I was sitting and chatting with him. He wasn't really a friend, but an acquaintance of mine. And he was telling me he just wanted to, to leave. He just wanted to get out of here. And I said to him, I said, you know, you went over there to that war to fight for your country. You were willing to die for the people of this nation, right? Yeah, yeah. And I challenged him. I said, now the new mission is to live for them. Live for somebody. Everybody, everybody wants to be a martyr. Everybody wants to go somewhere and die for the cause. No, no, no. It's more difficult to live for him. It's more difficult to stay here and fight the good fight for him. That's what he needs is warriors. Not martyrs, warriors. I told him, I said, the new mission then is to stay here and live for these people. And all he could do was cry. He said, man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, man. Live for them. Paul says, to remain here, it would be better for me if I left, but to remain here is necessary for your sakes. I want you to ask yourself a question this week. It's a very personal question. It's an important question that every believer should be able to answer positively. Am I necessary to others? That's a hard question. That's a scary question, kind of. Am I necessary to other people? I'm not talking about to my kids. I hope you're necessary to your kids. I hope you're necessary to your kids. I'm not talking about your brothers and sisters. Obviously, you're going to be necessary to family. Are you necessary to the people around you? Can you say like Paul the Apostle, I may want to get out of here, but to stay here is necessary for somebody else, for this specific person. This person is depending on me. I'm discipling this person. I'm developing them in Christ. I have a reason to be. Ask yourself that. And, and, and when you, if you say, yes, yes, I'm necessary to, write their names down. Write down the names of the people who you know that your life is having an impact on for the cause of Christ. Write down their names. And every time you start feeling depressed, every time you start feeling like giving up, take out your list and remind yourself, I'm here for somebody. <laughs> it's not just about me. It's about Christ and then it's about others. I have a reason to be here. I lost my nephew this morning thinking it was to suicide. His mother just passed away a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Sometimes hopelessness gets the best of us. And when we can't make that list and say, these are the people that I'm here for. I'm here for somebody. I have a, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling dejected. Yeah, I would like to check out of here sometimes. People think I'm kind of crazy because I talk about dying like, like sleeping. 
I realize one of these days I'm leaving here and I'm not really very worried about that. <laughs> Sometimes you get tired. My mother said to me one day, my mother said, I said, what you want for dinner, mom? Mom said, son, I don't want anything. I don't want to taste anything. I've tasted everything so many times in 70 years, I'm tired of tasting the same things. Huh? Can you get that tired, really? I'm 55 now, and I'm starting to think, you know, some stuff I don't even care for anymore. I don't, even, I don't have a taste most of the time now. That's very interesting. You've seen it all. You've done it all a million times. Sometimes you want to say, you know what? I know the story already. I got it. I get it. Can I check out of here now? And Jesus says, no, because you're not here for you. You've already transitioned into glory with me. Your life is already hidden in me. This life that you're living now is not you. It's me. And no, I'm not ready to go. I have work to do through you. This is not over yet. <sighs> young people, young people, it's not over yet. Not even almost. <laughs> and it will not be over until the victory is won. <laughs> My mind. Paul says to remain here is necessary for you. Ask yourself the question, brothers, who am I necessary for? Who am I giving my life for? Who is depending on me in this world? And if your answer is no one, uh, if your answer is no one, and for some of us, the answer is no one, then let that be the clarion call for you to get up and be about your father's business and make yourself necessary in this world. Make your mark for Jesus Christ while you can. The day is far spent, the night is coming. It's time to do the work. Make ourselves necessary to this dying world. There is nothing worse than an unnecessary church. There is nothing worse than a Christian who lives only for themselves, waiting for another blessing and another blessing and another blessing. And Jesus is saying, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. No, 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 I just want some more. Give me some more. Give me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Make me comfortable. That's the culture that we live in. Everybody wants to be comfortable. Oh, saints, we can't allow that culture to come into the church. The church is not about comfort. The church is about fruitful labor. <laughs> the church is about service in good days and in bad. <laughs> My mind. Paul is now convinced that he should choose fruitful labor over future reward. And he says in verse 25, convinced of this now, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in the faith. I am convinced that I have a significant role to play in your progression in this faith. I have a significant role to play in your joy, teaching you how to enjoy, how to rest in the faith. I have some work to do. Therefore, I think I need to remain for your sake. Despite the fact that I have that other much better option, I choose service to you over service to my own needs. I live and I will live to serve others. I live for fruitful labor, and that is the finer thing. I live to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, and that is the finer thing. 
I live in the stead of Christ in this world to do what Christ would have done had he been here, to say what Christ would have said if he were still here. I live my life in the stead of Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. In my living, may my living, may my example cause your heart to overflow with pride to be in his service. May my life serve as an example of all that this Christian life has to offer. Paul's desire is that they and we would follow in his footsteps and commit to live our lives for Jesus Christ through the dark storms of life, through the good days and through the bad. Hmm. That we live our lives to be an encouragement to someone else. Someone said we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. But we live to serve. And our only prayer is that our living will not prove to be in vain. Even in her waning sickly years, my mother may not have even realized it. But my mom remained for me a beacon of hope and strength and courage even through the darkness of her illness. Her life mattered. Does yours. If you left today, besides your family and a few friends, who would mourn your leaving? Who is depending on you? The Bible says, Jesus says, that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that has been planted in the ground. It grows up first the root, then the stem, then it grows into a mighty tree and its branches become nests for the birds of the air. To be mature in Jesus Christ is to be able to bear the burdens of others, <laughs> to be a support for others, to live, to support, to love, to serve others. That's what spiritual maturity is. Sometimes we get it confused. We think that to be spiritual means to be deep thinkers. Deep thinking is not spirituality. Deep thinking is only one aspect of the kingdom of God. The larger aspect and the aspect that Jesus Christ shows us again and again, chapter after chapter in all of the gospels is service to others. He lived to serve. And if Jesus Christ is living in you, so will we. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, sometimes life can be hard, mysterious, difficult. Sometimes we have a tendency to overcomplicate and to overthink our own lives. How many countless hours have we spent and do we spend wondering what is our purpose, wondering what is our reason? When all the while you show us time and time again in the Gospels why we are here. Help us, Father God, to stop procrastinating wondering, dreaming and imagining 
Help us to open the Gospels and to see your life and give us hearts to desire that our lives would be an imitation of yours and that we will leave it all on the field, mind, body, soul, and spirit to accomplish your purpose in the world. Give us hearts of generosity. Give us hearts that desire to serve. Give us newfound energy to serve the least and the lowest. Help us to get more engaged, more involved in our communities, wherever we live. To go to the city meetings and the council meetings and to be involved and to meet other people and to get out of our own comfort zones and to make ourselves necessary in this world. Our desire is to be a footprint of Christ in the area where you've called us to serve. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be forever committed. And help us to live for Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.